0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Sean Korn. Sean is an internationally acclaimed yoga teacher who has been featured in nearly 50 different print and broadcast media, including Yoga Journal and The Today Show. An active humanitarian and advocate for social change, she is also the National Yoga Ambassador for Youth AIDS and has conducted humanitarian work in India, Cambodia, and Africa. I spoke with Sean about some of the deeper dimensions of yoga practice and her unusual life story as an empowered and empowering yogini. I'm wondering just to start, tell me a little bit about what originally drew you to yoga. How old you were, what was happening in your life, how did you know that the path of yoga was the right path for you?
1: Well. I didn't know that the path of yoga was going to be any kind of a path for me. I just, um, I was really fortunate. I moved to New York City when I was um, just out of high school, so I was still 17, and one of my many jobs was working in a cafe down on the Lower East Side called Life Cafe, and as the fates would have it, the owner of the cafe, his name is David Life, and uh he went with a woman who was a waitress there by the name of sharon gannon and years later they went on to open the jiva mukti yoga schools and have become one of the probably the most one of the most famous yoga teachers um to help contemporize yoga here in the united states so david at that time though was my boss and they weren't doing yoga and in around 1987 they went off to india and they came back and uh I had just noticed a real difference, and during that period, I, you know, as a as a teenager in the city with an enormous amount of freedom, I was doing a lot of drugs and alcohol and parting like just as one would do when they have that kind of independence. And I was really unhealthy. And David and Sharon came back, and there was just something different about them. And they, there seemed to be a level of contentment which I hadn't really experienced in them prior to that trip to India, so I got a little curious. So I got into yoga from that point on, and um, at first I just liked the way that it made my body feel, quite frankly, and then I would, after class, I would go and party with my friends, smoke cigarettes, and next day I'd do my yoga class, and after a while, it just didn't feel good to drink or to do drugs, and I slowly started to put all of that down, and yoga just became more into the forefront of my experience. But it wasn't a spiritual or even an emotional experience at that point. I just liked the way my body looked and the way that I felt physically. And I was committed to it from that point on. It took about four or five years before there was a real shift for me where I knew that yoga was going to be a path that was going to impact every single part of my life. But when I was a teenager, I was just excited the fact that you know I I had biceps and my body just looked really healthy. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my, my original introduction into the practice of yoga, so it was uh, back in 1987.
0: It seems that a lot of people are drawn to yoga, especially in you know in the West, because it does make their body feel better, you know better abs, lose weight, all of that, and that many people don't ever reach these other benefits. I mean, they don't you said after five years, something shifted for you. It seems like a lot of people they're just they're just into yoga because it makes them feel better about their body
1: that's that's good, too. Anything that's going to bring one a certain level of self-confidence can impact their life in a positive way. You know, yoga becoming a lifestyle choice is something that can or cannot evolve over time. You know, who, who, how, how do I know? But all I do know is that if someone is practicing yoga and it's impacting them in a way that's bringing a certain amount of positivity into their life and experience, then I know it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. My hope is that they continue doing it. Perhaps it evolves into something else but that's that's my judgment you know that's that's not necessarily every person's experience yoga is physical it's mental it's emotional it's energetic it's spiritual it's psychic and there's something for everyone within that and you what's the most important thing especially as a teacher is you just have to meet people where they're at and serve that experience and not have any expectations for an end result um because then I'm in, I'm imposing my belief system or um, my expectations onto their experience, and that that can't be a good thing.
0: Very broad-mindedly put, Sean. Well, thank you. I must (laughs) say. But I'd be curious, in your own life then, if you can talk to me some about the progression from the physical dimension to some of these other aspects of yoga, spiritual dimensions, energetic dimensions, what are those for you?
1: Well, okay, look, so I'm practicing yoga for years and years and years. It's very physical. I'm not really connected to any other aspect of it. You know, I put my palms into Namaste, I'd om if I had to, but I really, you know, I just didn't have a, any relationship to the deeper aspect of practice, and one day I was in a yoga pose, um, it was a hip opener, it was a pose called pigeon, and the teacher was prattling on about something, you know, who knows, love, you know, truth. Um, it didn't matter, because I wasn't even paying attention, I was just kind of breathing and hanging out in the pose, And then all of a sudden I had this, um, like a a gulp, like I caught my breath and I thought like, oh, what's wrong? And then it happened again, like I caught my breath and I suddenly realized I was going to start to cry. And I got really nervous about it because I couldn't quite figure out why. Nothing was going on in my life, there was nothing within my personal circumstance that would warrant tears, yet I felt my entire body begin to shake and I, I... ran out of the room and I went into the bathroom and I just started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and I could just feel all this energy coming out of my body and I was I was actually quite I wasn't scared because I kind of had heard that there was this mind-body connection but I was confused because it was so unexpected and when I went back into the yoga class that same class and I uh, continued my practice it's like I heard every word that the teacher was saying for the first time and i'm sure this teacher was saying the exact same stuff every single day i just wasn't available to it and this shift of energy that happened in my body it like uh energetically it released the tension and when it released the tension it allowed me to feel probably for the first time in years really feel connect to my vulnerability and that's ultimately what led to surrender and so i learned that Through that experience, I started to explore it more and more, this mind-body connection and what we're taught in the practice of yoga that there is no separation between the mind and the body and spirit and that everything that we think or feel or experience has an impact on every single cell of our body. And so our body holds on to information like rage and anger and shame and guilt and uh, unresolved grief. And if we're not processing the experiences within our lives, through truth, through love, through compassion, somehow just moving that energy through, then those emotions, they are as toxic on our physical body and our emotional body as a poor diet and as uh, drugs and inertia. And so what I began to understand then is that these repressed emotions also manifested as tension, stress, and anxiety. Tension, stress, and anxiety affects the immune system, the hormonal system, and the nervous system. So there's like the, the practical connection between the mind and the body And so through the practice of yoga, or rather let me put it this way, these emotions manifest as tension and tension is what we use to maintain a certain amount of control. Control is what blocks our emotions and our inability to feel is what doesn't allow us to move beyond reason. It doesn't allow us to connect with the fantastic. We have to stay in the practical, literal, logical mind, the left side of our brain rather than the right. And so through the practice of yoga, you can effectively release the tension, and that's what can allow us to find out how the tension got there in the first place. And that was really the, the, um, the part of the yoga practice that just blew my mind, that my body was holding on to so much, and it was just kind of part of, the, of one's survival just to get through life. We just block ourselves from our bigger feelings, but it also cuts us off from the mystery. So that's the connection that I, I'm still to this day so fascinated about. And through the practice of yoga, there are, uh, there are these energetic centers throughout the body. They're called uh, chakras. And there are seven major chakras that we work with. And each chakra either receives energy or expels energy. And depending on where these chakras are placed in our body, they impact certain uh, body parts. And so once you get understand the languaging of the chakras... It almost becomes like a psychological roadmap, and you could start to figure out, based on your tension or even injuries, what else might be going on in your life that has not been resolved spiritually, what other resentments or or, or areas where we remain victims um, shut down uh, based on what's happening within our body. And you can design entire yoga practices to help to activate some of these energy centers so as to gain a greater understanding of self beyond the body. Does that make sense?
0: Well, the, the part that I was a little confused about that would be helpful if you could expand on a bit is, what do you mean that the chakras receive and expel energy?
1: Okay, so there are, these, there are thousands of chakras throughout the whole body, um, but like I said, there's seven major ones that we work with, and anyone who's had acupuncture done knows about these meridians And the seven major chakras line the length of the spine from the perineum all the way up to the top of the head. And they are, you can't see them, but like emotions, you can feel them. So they're energized. And based on experience, trauma, abuse, just life, each of these chakras take in emotion as a vibration. And depending on what the stories are, what particular experiences or traumas, it renders the, the, the vibration of these chakras to either spin slow or too fast. Um, what we're looking for is a rate of energy that moves up the body that's balanced. But when the chakras are impacted, if they're either excessive in the flow of energy or deficient, then it affects the whole of the body physically and mentally. So, for example, the first chakra, which is um, called the Mulahara Chakra, which is located at the very base of the spine at the perineum, it holds on to the information that is related to home, safety, family, security, uh, prosperity, boundaries, um, whether or not you feel the world is a safe or an unsafe place. It's really our um, foundation. It's the base of who we are. And so if we've experienced things in our life that can disrupt this feeling of safety. Let's say um, poor boundaries with your parents, um, uh, uh, major s- surgery or illness, uh, parents who grew up in a war environment or even in the Depression, uh, divorce or loss of a loved one, all of that can impact one's feeling of, um, of a good foundation, foundational self. And so that could render the chakra to either have too much energy in it or not enough. And that can block the prana, the vital energy that goes into the legs, includes the ankles, the knees, um, the lower intestinal tract, into the lower back, and all the solid parts of your body that include your teeth, even your blood, and your bones. And so it became really interesting in yoga that uh, as a student, if my hamstrings were really tight one day and not the other, it was one thing to stretch your body. That was, of course, It was another thing to ask myself, what else might be going on in my life today mentally where I'm not feeling as safe or as secure in my emotional or familial environment? And is there something that I need to look at that I need to heal? Um, And so that level of self-inquiry is what allows yoga to go one step deeper beyond the body. And now it might never open up my hamstrings, but it might change my life. Mm -hmm. And so this was the part of the practice that I found really fascinating. And I mean, if your listeners are really interested in understanding more about this work, there are some great resources. Carolyn Mace has a book out called The Anatomy of the Spirit. And Dea Judith has two amazing books, one called The Wheels of Life, and the other is Eastern Body, Western Mind, which is my energetic Bible. And it makes the connection between the psychological body and and the physical body and how the two are intrinsically connected. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, I can imagine someone thinking, you know, I thought that I was going to go to yoga so that I would feel better, and here you're talking about the breakthrough moment coming when deep, emotional, buried pain is being released. Do you think that part of yoga, if it's done at these deeper levels, involves this kind of release of difficult emotions? And so you may a fabulous yoga class might be a yoga class that you cry all the way through?
1: it could be it's not for everybody it depends on where someone is at you know it really depends on what they're open to um my guess is if someone comes into a yoga room and they've made some kind of silent declaration to spirit saying that they want to heal it's going to happen and usually healing is an is an excavation first it's an emptying to be filled it's the confrontation of all the blocked parts of yourself the shadow part, and that's the part that people tend to be afraid of or, or think is bad or unspiritual. And uh, to me, that's the, the most holiest of places. You have to, it's the initiation. You have to go into the shadow to understand the light. You have to understand what love isn't in order to really understand what love is. And so for some people in the yoga practice, they will get to those places, but only really when they're ready. Um, only if they're open to it. Otherwise, it's an amazing form of exercise. It'll help to detox the body and increase the circulation. It can do so much to the physical body that will make one happy. But if another person is ready, if they feel that they're open to transforming their life, the practice of yoga is one more transformational tool that can be used to help people to investigate the self and to create environments for um, self-inquiry. So it's a possibility.
0: Now you you said this interesting thing if you go into the yoga class and make a silent declaration that um you know I'm I'm ready and interested in healing and I'm I'm open to healing what do you think happens when somebody makes a declaration like that
1: It it will happen It happens I mean it it's going to be different for for all beings I remember now my mantra always is when I want to make because I believe so strongly in the power of co-creation And because I take very seriously that Spirit, that God answers your prayers always. Um, Now, I used to say when I was younger, like, you know, okay, Spirit, bring it on. I don't do that anymore because that's exactly what would happen. My relationships fell apart. I got fired from my job. All the things that I was like, wait a second, I didn't bank on this. When I look back on it, it was exactly what needed to happen in order for me to return to myself that level of... um, Uh, uh, Of kind of that stripping away of the ego and and all my attachments, that was part of my journey. Now, I say to Spirit, bring it on, gently. You know, I really try to qualify it because I don't necessarily want that kind of drama in my life. So I'm I'm much more sensitive to how I choose to communicate with Spirit. But I do believe that for some people, um, they will come into that environment and they will make that declaration to heal, and the rug will get pulled out from underneath them. And other people, it will be a much more gentler process. Um, But I do in my heart believe that no matter how challenging, no matter how seemingly bad it might be, I can't help but believe in my heart it's exactly what is needed, and it is that initiation that's going to help that particular being to transform in a way that they never ever thought possible. And so my hope for anyone who's going through those challenges is never to pray for an experience to change, but to pray for the strength to perceive the experience in a new way. Um, That's the best that one can really hope for, because what we learn on the path of yoga is just because you get into a spiritual process, um, it doesn't mean you're exempt from pain. It doesn't mean your heart doesn't get broken and that people that you love won't die. All of that happens. Um, What it does give you, though, are really amazing tools so that when you are confronted with the realities of life, that you're able to handle them in a way that's more integrated and more whole. And instead of living your life as a victim feeling like, you know, why is this being done to me? You're able to stand in the face of of any challenge and just breathe and stay present to it and feel your feelings, but not allow each of those moments to define who you are, for better or for worse.
0: Now, do you think there's anything in the design of the yoga asanas the yoga postures the sun salutations any of the sequences that it's actually sort of designed to bring forth this shadow material as you're talking about that that was part of the sort of original idea of these exercises was oh do these and this spiritual process will somehow happen because the way the postures are sequenced
1: I don't know necessarily about the sequencing uh, per se. Uh, I know the individual poses will definitely stimulate different parts of the body that hold on to different information. So, hip openers, for example, will stimulate the first and the second chakras. Uh, twists and back bends open up the third and the fourth. So, you're dealing with information when you're in these poses and you're holding them and breathing, and the deeper layers of tension are starting to release. So are the emotions that are embodied underneath it. It's why hip openers, especially for women, is can be very, very intense. It relates to the second chakra, which is all about sexuality, emotions, um, uh, even the energy around prostitution. And I don't mean that necessarily literally, but it's the willingness to negotiate or sell yourself um, uh, in regards to seductive forces like sex or power or money or, or drugs or even other people. And so... Second chakra energy is where you hold on to information like betrayal, deception, um, insecurity, jealousy, obsession. All of that resides. So if you haven't healed your sexual relationships, um, if you haven't seen that, that being that crossed your path, that maybe broke your heart, they were a teacher. They were a spiritual guide. They came into your energetic field. Their wound, your wound match. You came to do very deep work together. So therefore, it's necessary to look at that being, see not their physical self, but their spiritual self, and give them back to God. Forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, and let that energy sweep through your body. But if one is still holding on to resentment and holding on to the story of you did this to me, again, that anger, that jealousy is an energy, and it gets stored in the hips. So if you're doing some asana and you're just, pushing into that energy and breathing into it and sensation is coming up to the surface, then yes, the asanas are going to um, bring certain emotions, maybe even memory up to the surface. And so certain sequences can be designed to help um, instigate certain physical reactions. And other sequences are just meant to help make you stronger. It really is going to be dependent upon the teacher's skill to facilitate not just a yoga class, but an experiential journey. And a teacher has to be pretty uh, literate in the mind-body languaging to be able to express it in a way that can make the student feel safe enough to go to some of these deeper places.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've heard about the practice of self-inquiry as part of meditation, but I've never heard any yoga teacher use that term as part of a yoga practice. So I'm curious what you mean by it. Like How do you teach your students to work with self-inquiry?
1: Um, it's about taking responsibility. You see, one of the most important things to me as someone who has been uh, very, uh, my experience in kind of in the world has been in the darker realms you know because of drugs and alcohol and working in new york city at a very young age some of my jobs were very suspect to some people i worked in gay and lesbian clubs i worked in sex clubs as a bartender um i was in some environments that other people might think as hedonistic or bad um and when i look back at it now i i can't even believe how blessed i was to be in these environments where I met some of the most unique and interesting people doing very, very deep work on themselves. And one of the things that I was able to learn in that process of being in those environments is like what I said earlier, to truly understand what it is to be in the light, you have to also understand what it is to be in the shadow because it's one thing to hold the light within myself, but how can I hold a space for another human being when they're in their shadow and still love them and not judge them? I'm only going to judge them if I'm still judging me. And so because of some of the environments that I I surrounded myself with, it was a very early education about acceptance, self, and others. Um, Whether it was people who were doing drugs or people who were prostitutes or uh, men and women who were homosexual, my environment was very, very, very broad. And some of the most amazing people I came across at that time who really awakened me to the different levels of personality that exists, and that love shows up in a a lot of different ways, and it's very often not in the way that we expect. And so I became very involved politically, uh, especially around HIV, AIDS um, issues at a very young age. And one of the things that I believe in is that everything that happens out in the world is only happening because it's a manifestation of our collective thoughts. It's happening because there's this high level of fear that's being perpetuated, this sense of otherness, separation, a me against you and us against them. This is what's creating war and violence and terrorism, illiteracy, disease, rape. And if we really want to change what's happening out in the world, the first thing that has to happen is that we have to look within ourselves and see where are we living in interpersonal war, psychic terrorism, Where are we creating an otherness, a separation? And once we can heal that within the individual, this is how we can heal it within the collective. And so for me, the practice of yoga, whether it's yoga meditation or um, therapy, the program, all of these practices are opportunities where we get to confront the ego self, the way that we've, the mythology or our ancestry, some of these cultural beliefs that have, got us stuck in kind of dogmatic perspective that if we can really confront those shut down places within ourselves deal with our own anger, our own rage, our own sadness, our own prejudice if we can recognize that all the beings who have crossed our paths are actually our teachers, divine teachers, no matter what, how gross or even evil the story might be, that there is a spiritual perspective that we can put upon it that can transform our lives if we can do that for the individual, then we can then be responsible for healing this planet. And that's why, for me, within the practice of yoga, when we release the tension and we begin to feel, the student will hear the information in a very different way. If I pray in the beginning of a class before a student has a chance to move their body, I could see it. You know, their palms are together, their eyes are closed sometimes, but I can tell they're not really engaged. If I offer that same prayer at the end of class, there's a whole different relationship they're hearing not from their heads, but from their hearts. Because the truth is, as a teacher, it's not my job to teach anything. That would be incredibly arrogant. It's my job to guide. It's my job to inspire. It's more importantly, my job to help remind people of what they already know. Because the true teacher already exists 100% wholly and fully within each individual. But what blocks that grace, that light, that God, is life, is experiences, fear, it's Like I said before, Ancestry and Mythology. And so in a good yoga class, a teacher can play the right song, can recite the right poem, can say just the right prayer that can help the student remember who they truly are, and that's what affects the whole of their day. That's when they go home and they treat their partner a little differently. They communicate with their children a little bit differently. And maybe that level of awareness lasts one day, maybe two days. But at least it's the beginning of a cycle of transformation. And the more the person keeps doing their yoga, the more they're, re- they're remembering. And that, to me, is what, it, it's really what my job is. It's why I show up in the yoga room every single day. If it was just to help people get a better body, I, I don't think I could do this. It it would just be too, um, for me, it just would, it wouldn't be inspiring. But I want someone walking out of the yoga room not necessarily liking their body, I want them liking their life. No matter what drama is going on, I want them just to sit back with absolute gratitude that everything is unfolding perfectly and they're right where they're supposed to be and that all the information that's coming to them are seeds being planted. And when they're ready, that seed will germinate within their soul and they'll remember.
0: Very beautiful. I'm curious about uh, the program you've created with Sounds True, Detox Flow Yoga, Mm -hmm. and just... um, Specifically your passion around the whole area of detoxification, why you care so much about that?
1: Well it goes in two folds. One is in, in that particular program there's a physical practice that helps to stimulate the vital organs and it helps to create an environment in the intestinal tract where the toxins that might be accumulated can release through your sweat, through your breath and when you go to the bathroom. And it's just a really nice starting point to help to purify the physical body. But a lot of the information that's being talked about within that program is also around emotional purification. A a huge part of that is about forgiveness, that the area of the body that we're focusing on in detox flow is the intestinal tract, is the liver, spleen, pancreas, and the kidneys, Um, the whole center point of your body. It's also directly impacted by the third chakra. The third chakra is located at the solar plexus. The third chakra within the body is where we house our soul and our sense of self. It's our self-confidence. It's the magnetic core of our personality and our ego. When we define ourselves from the physical world, when our sense of self is being uh, valued by the way that we look or the money that we make or the relationship that we're in, what we find is that there's never enough of anything, money, power, sex, or even food, to fill a void. And so people who don't have a strong sense of self will very often towards food or drugs or alcohol or cigarettes to self-regulate and so a huge part of this program is also identifying where you've lost your power in terms of your own story so if this third chakra is being impacted because of low self-esteem or low self-worth or low self-actualization or the opposite a type personalities manipulation control the need to be right the need to be to win these are just high ego, low ego, powerful, powerless. Neither is empowered. Well, when that third chakra is impacted, it affects our digestive tract. So that's the mind-body connection. It will create an environment which, which could lead to things like IBS, uh, for example, or even eating disorders. So in detox flow, it's a twofold. Uh, my hope is that people will see it in a couple of different ways, the physical purification as well as the emotional purification. But it's also about really common sense practices. Um, when we're turning towards certain foods and we're not conscious about it it not only is impacting our health and our wellness but it also impacts the planet upon which we're living and so to eat more consciously to eat organic whole foods locally and seasonally grown impacts not just the individual but really the collective and so Uh, It's that idea of it's not what you're eating, but what's eating you that really matters. And also, how close is the food that you're eating? How many hands have had to touch that food before it actually got to your plate? And can you decrease the amount of energy that has to be utilized in order for it to um, be made ready for ingestion? And also about practices, looking at the environment, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, food that we're eating, the cosmetics that we're using, our personal care products, all of this and choosing to be more conscious about what it is that we're purchasing, ingesting or putting on our bodies. That the idea of detoxification to me is also it's a it's political. It's it's making choices in how you spend your money, how you feed your children, what kind of an energy that you're cultivating within your life physically and emotionally. So Detox. I started doing detox years ago, and what I loved about it is that it drew, because of the word detox, it attracted a very, kind of a very practical, body-oriented individual, Um, people who wanted to lose weight, people who wanted to, like, clean their body. And once I got them onto the mat and was able to give them a really strong practice that satiated that physical need, it also allowed me to bring in information both psychologically as well as um, globally that my hope will be um, food for thought, you know, so to speak, and will help people take more responsibility in their life and what they're putting into their bodies and how it affects everything.
0: Without even uh, being able to quote any scientific evidence, it seems that it's pretty apparent we live in a world where we're challenged by more and more toxins all the time. Would you say that's true? You might know a lot more about this than I do.
1: Absolutely. It's everywhere. It's, it's big business. You know, It's just big business, and we have to just use our common sense. Would I take an apple, inject it with hormones and, and certain chemicals so that it's redder and fluffier and fatter, and then uh, hand that to my kid and say, eat this? I wouldn't do it, yet every single day parents who are lovely, loving people are feeding their children meat products that are just filled with chemicals and even carcinogens that are hurting their children. And because it's marketed really well and because the government supports it and backs it, we buy into um, really these, uh, these big business agendas, even political agendas. And I think it's really important that people just use some common sense when it comes to what they're putting into their bodies and in their children's bodies. You know, stay away from anything with chemicals in it, with food coloring, refined foods, refined sugars, hidden fats and salts and all that stuff. Um, Just stay away from it. Our body doesn't want it. It doesn't need it. And it can get its nutrients and nourishment when we get as close to nature as possible.
0: Now this is a little personal, Sean, but our producer who worked with you on the audio series for Sounds True, detox uh-huh. boy came back and was. I'm um, telling me a little bit about the experience, and one of the things he said was, you know, it was remarkable. Uh, Sean wasn't wearing any makeup, and you, you know, you mentioned makeup as a um, source of toxins that most people mm-hmm. are applying, and I'm curious what what it's like to be, uh, you know, in L.A. and etc. on the cover of so many magazines and not to be wearing any makeup.
1: Um you know I I don't really think about it too much. You know, I I I choose not to wear makeup. I'm choosing I'm 42 years old and I'm choosing to get older naturally and not to really um not to say that there aren't mornings where I wake up and I'm like, "Oh god, like Botox would be really interesting right about now." But that's just not the direction I'm going to choose to go in. I don't want that um, I don't judge it for someone else though. I do hope that if they're choosing to wear makeup, they use makeup that is going to be um, that's not going to be tested on animals, that is as organic as possible. and there are quite a few products that are out there. And I also have inc- a very, very sensitive skin. and so um, when I put makeup on, it hurts my skin, I don't like the way it feels. And I actually think I look better without makeup than with makeup on. When I put makeup on, I it just I don't like it. I don't like it when I have to do it for magazines. And On magazines, I do do it, um, but I'm not opposed to it um, I'm just really I feel pretty fortunate that I don't necessarily um, have to use it at this point. Uh, who knows how I'll feel you know in ten years from now you might see me and I'm like flattered head to toe um, and I'm not really I'm, i I come across sometimes as a fanatic, but I'm not um, i I just want myself and other people to make as conscious choices as they possibly can but um uh Not to say that I don't slip here and there. Um, I I try to hold myself accountable. Um, But I choose not to wear makeup. I choose to wear products that are all organic. Probably the most unhealthiest thing that I do is I do highlight my hair. And uh, I've been doing that for a very long time. And uh, it's the one thing that's probably the most amount of chemicals that I'm introducing into my system.
0: And then you do a lot of detox flow yoga to compensate.
1: (laughs) I do about four detoxes a year, actually, Uh, physical detoxes. And I practice yoga every day. Um, you know, and I just eat well, but I just try not to obsess on it. You know, every once in a while, I, you know, I, I, I have something that I just indulge on, and I think everyone should. Um, I would just like to see people, you know, not eating in their cars while they're driving, you know, not like throwing food on their kid's plate and picking on it and not being aware of just what it is they're putting into their body and how it makes them feel. I know that when I eat a big meal at 9 o'clock at night, I don't feel good. It affects the way that I communicate with my partner. It, it definitely impacts the way that I relate to the kids, his kids. And those are the things that I, I want I want to be present and really in my body, grounded and open-minded and open-hearted no matter what the conflict of the crisis is. And if I'm anesthetizing myself with food and with alcohol and I can't, I can't then know that my emotional response is going to be authentic, it's going to be in truth. My guess it's going to be reactive. So by, you know, staying as clean as possible, you know, eating really good healthy foods is one way that we can ensure that we're going to live a healthier um, and a more vital life. And that's really what I would hope for anyone. Um, But it's not about extremes at all. you know, people who drink seven days a week, I would love it. Drink one day a week and see what happens. See the notice the difference. Um, you know, cut down to one cigarette a day and just notice that difference and start to make subtle movements towards a healthier lifestyle. Like I said, when I first got into yoga, I would still party. I partied my tail off. Uh, I was also 17 years old. I can get away with it. Um, but after a while, I just it didn't feel good to smoke. It didn't feel good to do blow. None of that felt good anymore. And then after a while, it didn't feel good to eat meat, and it didn't feel good to eat refined sugars. And just slowly over the years, I started eliminating more and more things. And maybe that's why at 42, I don't have to wear makeup, you know. So, you know, it's my hope that everyone just finds the balance for themselves and makes uh, really good decisions that's going to impact their health and their children's health in a positive way.
0: Okay, now I'm going to ask an even more personal question, if it's okay. Because uh, our producer, in addition to saying when he returned to Boulder from recording with you, that you weren't wearing makeup. He also said, Tammy, she's the most physically beautiful person I've ever sat next to.
1: Wow. Good old Randy. This is what Randy said. I love uh, him for that.
0: And he said it actually was um, quite an experience for him. And what I'm curious about is what it's like for you. I mean, do you have a sense that other people respond to you as an unusually, uniquely beautiful woman and what that might be like for them or are you just are you immune to it you don't pay any attention to it what's it like for you
1: i uh, i mean that's a huge compliment and when i see Han- randy i'm going to give him a big huge hug and a kiss from uh, him he's gonna like for she's going to like that yeah i love that but i i don't i don't know how to relate to that really i don't see myself in that way um i come from a real blue collar background i come from a very hard working kind of um you know that my work ethic is very very strong and i come from a no nonsense kind of family uh, a family that really doesn't suffer fools, especially um, they're from their children. And I think that if I ever took myself too seriously or bought into things like even my success or things like beauty, I have too many people around me that are going to, like, you know, clock me in the side of my head and tell me to, you know, get a grip, that I don't put much stock on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I... It, I, I'm very grateful for that kind of a comment, but I don't think I'm aware of, of that. Uh, you know, I'm not a classical beauty. I have gigantic teeth. I've got a scar that runs through my, my eyebrow. Um, my nose is crooked. I'm, I don't see myself as like a, a real beauty that way. I hope that um, my heart and the way that I communicate makes me maybe prettier than I actually really am. Um, because what I do know about myself is that I have an enormous amount of love and I have an ability to communicate certain information that might be um, uh, normally not that accessible, but I can translate it to to other people. And because of my experiences in life, I'm not judgmental at all. I'm I'm always amused and and sometimes amazed by being in the presence of, of different kinds of people. I might not want to indulge in their lifestyle, perhaps, but I'm fascinated by what makes them tick and can certainly hang in those spaces and I I often think that people feel very comfortable around me and um feel that I'm that I'm I'm there to just hopefully my authenticity in my heart uh is something that's more important than the way that I look and I also know that you know looks things like that change like everything else and I don't want to live my life too attached to that um but uh what i am grateful for though is that the way that i look is relatable enough that it's managed to put me in the public eye where people have trusted me first because i look not like i look like someone that you can hang with maybe your sister maybe your girlfriend i'm not a threatening kind of a personality and maybe that my mainstream uh kind of a how mainstream I look draws people in and then it allows me to teach in a way that can uh, that people can hear. So um so again I really appreciate you know Randy having that experience um but I'm not 100% sure how you know I don't see myself as a, as a great beauty.
0: Uh-huh. Well thank you. Thanks for answering it. So honestly. Sure. Well you know so we've been talking about the deeper dimensions of yoga talked quite a lot about the emotional processes that can potentially be released. And you mentioned one thing in talking about detox, which is the idea of forgiveness and how if there's something we haven't forgiven that creates a kind of toxicity in our body. And I'm I'm curious how you see that working. So we haven't forgiven someone, what kind of toxins does that create?
1: Well, again, hate, anger, shame, blame, guilt. It's creating that separation, that otherness. Remember what I said earlier, these emotions are just as toxic on our body as a poor diet because it affects the immune system, the neurological system, and the hormonal system. And so it's really important to recognize that if I'm holding a resentment towards another person, it's like a poison that I'm taking, hoping that someone else will die. I'm not seeing a bigger picture. And what this bigger picture is, spiritually, spiritually. If you're a lit- if you're literal-minded, none of this will make much sense. But if you're a spiritually-minded person, it- it's easy to connect to this. And... In yoga, this is a mystical practice, and mysticism recognizes that God exists in all moments, light and dark, not just the ones that we prefer, Um, that God transcends all time, all experiences, and then therefore, everything that happens to us happens synergistically and purposefully in order for our soul to transform. So even though bad things might happen, it's our perception that an experience is bad. But we all know this. Sometimes... People have gotten their ass handed to them, and years later, they turn around, and they look at it, and they say, thank you, God. That is exactly what needed to happen, because look what I got to do as a result of that experience. I got my power back. I, learned my, I got self-confidence. I, I learned how to stand in my power and my truth. And so was that experience bad, or was it blessed? And so by not allowing ourselves to see that there's a bigger picture at play, we stay stuck in the story. And because there's a process of co-creation happening all the time, we continue to manifest that same story again and again and again until we get the lesson. And so I know for myself, I know that if I had issues around abandonment, it's a guarantee I'm going to continue to pull in relationships in my life that are going to affirm that belief system, because I cannot be abandoned unless I believe that's true. So God is going to conspire to help co-create those experiences that allow us to either choose love or to choose fear. And so these are the initiations that I was talking about. Most people, though, it seems unspiritual going into the shadow. It seems bad or wrong, or, or it's just ugly and unattractive. So people reject it. They repress it. Repression is what leads to depression. Depression is not emotion. It's the suppression of emotion. And it's this depression that can really lead to an unhealthy perspective and even a lifestyle. And so it's important to look at all of our experiences. It doesn't mean we condone the circumstances, but it, we do have to look at that person and see not the drama behind it, but to see the opportunity, the soul. And this is really kind of a lesson that it's something that I work on every day and I struggle with it every single day. And I'm not kidding myself in thinking that I've got this down at all. It is, you only ever teach what it is that you need to learn, quite frankly. And I know that for myself, there are a few beings in this world that I forgive in terms of just the languaging. But if I had to be really honest with me, you know, I forgive to a point. Like, I don't want them that happy. I don't want them that rich. And I certainly don't want them that skinny or happy, you know, any of that. Um, so I have to really work on that. I have to go in there and say, really? Are you holding on to that toxicity, that anger? And how is that impacting the way that you, what you're drawing into your life? So seeing that bigger picture is all about self-responsibility and seeing that co-creation. Why did I pull this person into my life? It just didn't happen haphazardly. There was a reason I was drawn to this experience. So is there an opportunity for my own individual growth, not in spite of, but because of? So. There, to me, there's no greater yoga practice and there's no more challenging yoga practice than the practice of forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm. In talking about these deeper dimensions of yoga, where my mind's going is beyond the emotional processes that we're d- describing. The word moksha, which, you know, I don't know that many terms from the yoga tradition, but this one term, which I've heard is the goal of yoga, which people translate as liberation... And I'm curious what you see as the ultimate goal of this process of forgiveness, this process of releasing toxins, doing our hip openers, working out our shadow. Where is all this taking us?
1: Uh, My hope is it's empowerment. I'm not angling towards enlightenment. You know, that's something, you know, we've got a lot of karma to burn, and we're going to be doing these, for me, I believe, we'll be learning these lessons again and again and again as we work through this karma. But what we can become in this lifetime right now, today, is empowered by looking at these experiences and calling our power back. So if I'm holding, if I have a relationship that I still, if I'm still holding on to the story, um, then my energy is invested in that experience. I'm not in present time. That means if my boyfriend says something to me, he might say something that's going to make me feel like something that happened maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I don't even realize this. It's in my body. But it's called time traveling or triggering. And so I get triggered. he makes he says something, I feel disempowered. I'm not conscious of this, so I react. I attack him or I become passive. I become either powerful or powerless either way it's not it's not a healthy response to what happened in the in that immediate moment because I'm not in present time and so when I can start to heal my past experiences, when I can see the bigger picture where I can see the value, it allows me to become more empowered so that if my partner says something to me, I might start to time travel. It might catch my breath. I might see myself want to react, but I take a moment and I say, I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to go into another room and maybe beat a pillow a little bit, maybe cry, journal write, and I will come back to this conversation when I am more in my center. But if I do this, if I go into this conversation right now, I'm going to rip your throat out. And so empowerment is something that we can come to terms with instantaneously when we start to see that there is a bigger mystical picture at play. We're here to learn what love is. In order to learn what love is, you have to experience the opposite. It's just life. It's just life. And so the more we can go through these challenges and understand that, it's teaching us compassion. It's teaching us awareness. I know that because of the work that I've done on myself over these years, that when I am confronted by someone who is doing their crazy dance, when they're acting out in ways that other people might think are inappropriate or shut down or unconscious, I can hold that space for another person because I see their humanity. I get what they're working through. And I don't know how many times they're going to have to do this crazy dance, but it's not my business. My business is to love them, is to hold space for them and maybe even pray for them, but it's not to judge. And the only way that I'm going to judge them is if I'm still judging me. And so by doing the work of empowerment allows me to create that space where I can empower others, not by teaching or preaching, but just simply living as an example and holding space for someone to do whatever they need to do. You know, and I learned these lessons so fortunately at a really, really young age. And I learned them, to some people, might be in some of the most bizarre ways. But the very first lesson of yoga that I was ever given, and this was before I even got on the mat, And, again, remember, I'll tell you the story, but it's the idea that God is in the mystery, that God shows up in some of the most funkiest ways, and our angels reveal themselves in sometimes in in, in questionable personas. And if we're in our literal mind, we can't see the magic. But if we're in our spiritual mind, we'll see that the magic is infinite and it's all over. And so when I was 17, I worked, one of my first jobs was working illegally in a gay nightclub called Heaven in New York City, and I was a bartender, I was the only woman allowed, I wasn't even a woman, I was a girl, I was the only young girl allowed in that club, and I worked behind a bar, and I worked in the disco, so where the sex was happening was in these other side rooms, Um, I wasn't allowed in those rooms, um, but it didn't matter, because what I saw on that dance floor, you know, was enough for any young mind, and I loved it there, I loved working there, the men treated me fabulously, I made great money, I, I never felt safer, and I worked in many, many different clubs. And there was a man who used to come into that club. His name was Billy, and he absolutely adored me. And I had not Billy hadn't been in the club for a while. You know, I hadn't seen him maybe three, four weeks. And he showed up, and on this one day that he showed up, he had these sores on his neck and on his arm. And I asked him what they were. And remember, this is 1984, probably. And I asked him what they were, and he told me they were symptomatic of his disease and uh, I asked somebody what, what, what was wrong what he had he told me he had AIDS and now because it was 1984 there was an enormous amount of ignorance and, and misinformation and prejudice and even though I worked in a gay sex club um, I was not immune from my own prejudice um, there was only 40 reported cases at that time now there's 40 million um, so I must have recoiled I must have had some reaction and uh, Billy asked me uh, if I wanted to understand more about his disease and I said yes and uh he explained to me how he felt he he contracted it. Uh, I asked him if he, if I could get it, if I kissed him, or if we if he sweat on me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he you know, answered everything in a way that I felt comfortable with. And then I asked him if he was afraid, um, well, what was going to happen? And he told me that he was going to die, that there wasn't a, a cure, there was no vaccine, there still isn't. And I asked him if he was afraid, and he told me that he wasn't because he had such strong faith. Now, Billy was um, an African-American man, from I think it was Ohio Came from a Baptist background And when he came out of the closet He was ostracized by his family His wife left him, of course And his children stopped speaking to him And he was, um, you know, essentially kicked out of his church And he moved to New York So that he can live the life that was true to his soul So he was a very lonely man Very lonely but beautiful So I asked him if he was afraid to die And he told me that he wasn't Because he had such strong faith And he asked me if I believed in God And I told him at that time I said I didn't I didn't. I wasn't sure. I didn't know. I was more agnostic than anything. So he said to me, do you want to see God right now? So I kind of smiled because, you know, we're in a sex club. And I said, sure. So he points to Danny the Wonder Pony. And Danny the Wonder Pony was a white guy that came into the club every night, butt naked except for a pair of chaps and a saddle. And for $1 you can climb on Danny's back, and he would trot around the dance floor and you can hit him with a switch. And so Billy says to me, points to Danny the Wonder Pony, and he said, God's right there. And then he points to a transsexual man, um, ugliest cross-dresser I'd ever seen. He used to come in with sensible shoes and a, a gray wig with a hat with a veil and a little pocketbook like my grandma would wear in a house dress, huge, like 6'6". Six, six. And Billy points to this person and says, God's right there. And then points to two gentlemen that were arguing in a booth. They were wearing business suits like my brother would wear. And Billy said, God's right there. And then Billy took my hand and he put it on his heart and he took his hand and he put it right on my chest. And Billy said to me, and Sean, God's right here. And he held my he held his hand on my, my chest and I had my hand on his. And he said to me, I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to always remember this. And he said to me, and when I look back at it now, like I said, this was my very first lesson. Not just with yoga, but it was also my first introduction with HIV, which became... Um, which ended up becoming a a real pivotal turning point in my life as well. Um, But Billy said to me, ignore the story and see the soul, and remember to love, you'll never regret it. Ignore the story and see the soul, and remember to love, you'll never regret it. Those words stayed with me the whole of my life, and it is probably the most important teaching that I was ever given. And when i tell this story very often i know that people can get into all sorts of judgment about it it's a gay sex club i'm underage serving alcohol there's this african-american man who um with aids yet i look at it and think billy showed up as my angel saying to me pay attention everything is unfolding you are not probably not even going to remember this moment but i'm going to plant a seed that is going to inform the whole of your soul and working in that nightclub, had I not worked there, I would not have known Billy, and that moment wouldn't have happened. And I realized with all the yoga I've done and all the different teachings that I've had, and I've had amazing teachers, there is still not a greater teacher in my life than Billy. And because what he said to me was yoga, ignore the story and see the soul. And so when I come across people over all these years, when I see them going through their drama and their trauma and their, all their little the stories, I try to ignore it and go underneath it and just look at the soul, look at the, look at the depth of that being. They're exactly where they're supposed to be, learning exactly what they're supposed to learn, opening their heart to truth and love in their time, in God's time, not in mine. And the most important story that I need to ignore is my own. I need to let go of all of that other stuff. I cannot possibly know what's really going on. All I need to know is that I need to dignify the human experience as it is with no attachment to the end result, and love bigger than I ever imagined possible. So, you know, I share with you that story because it really is one of the most uh, significant things, and when I look at yoga and what are we supposed to get from it, is it about enlightenment, is it about uh, liberation, I don't know. All I know is that we're in these bodies for too short of a time, and that it is a true privilege to embody these spirits. And I want to love in a huge way while I'm in this conscious body. And I want to be present to the human experience with gratitude and just create a space for myself and for others that's really of of acceptance. I'm not always going to do this life right. I'm going to have really unconscious, really bad days, and I hope that people will extend to me the same respect and allow me to have that experience so that I can learn and I can grow. Um, otherwise, I stop from living this life.
0: Sean, it's been fabulous to talk to you. I really, I think of you as uh, the empowered and empowering yogini.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you. That's very nice. I appreciate that.
0: Really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you.
1: You're very welcome. It was my pleasure.
0: This program has been brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Please visit us at SoundsTrue.com and experience our award-winning audio programs for yourself, programs that embrace the world's major spiritual traditions, as well as the arts and humanities, embodied by the leading authors, teachers, and visionary artists of our time. With every title, we strive to preserve the essential living wisdom of the author, artist, or spiritual teacher. Not only will you receive information, but you will receive the essential quality of a wisdom transmission between a teacher and a student. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com.